What's going on, everybody? And how are you today? Welcome to the latest installment, once again, of the Man Cave Huddle. And I am your host, Greg. Well, we just going to sit here and chit-chat. I got some questions to ask. Things have transpired. Um, the sports world is just chock full of things to talk about. The weather is changing. It's starting to get a little bit warmer. Baseball season is here. So, you know, once you start hearing the crack of the bat, you know that means you can start going outside and looking for them summertime clothes and looking for them cheap flights to go on vacation. Because, you know, in a couple months, it's going to be summer camp and vacation time season. But one thing I wanted to talk about are things that I'm noticing in college sports that are not new, but now you're beginning to see the full-fledged effect on the impact. This is what I'm trying to reference in this episode, the impact. Um, I want to talk about how the National Image and License or the NILs in college are changing the game. I think it's going now further than, hey, players are able to make some money while they're in college where before they were broke and they couldn't even get money from a girlfriend to go out to the pizza shop to buy a pizza pie, something like that, where now you're getting players that are getting legitimate deals and are making some real cash in college, right? Um, take, for example... You have a player like Bryce Young, quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Last year, he was a first-time starter. He, you know, it's Bama, so when you ride on the bench, it doesn't mean you're bad. It just means there's another NBA, NFL player ahead of you. So he rode the bench when they won a national championship against Ohio State. Last year, he started for the first time. Before he even touched the field of play, in, in total, he had over $800,000-plus dollars in NIL deals before he even touched the field of play, okay? Now, um, other players, you know, in the college tournament that had just transpired, you have uh, the St. Peter's guard, Doug Eddard. He had a Buffalo Wild Wings deal in the midst of their March Madness run. I don't know if he was making money, but I do know he probably got some free food. And when you're in college, you that dude that got Buffalo Wild Wings, all you could eat. Come on now. That's like a party. But I'm sure he got some money off of that just for the tournament. But still, it's money. And look, I know that the NILs, they're not for every player. And you're sitting there probably saying to yourself, well, what about the guy at the end of the bench? Or not every player or every team is worthy of getting an NIL deal. And you know what? You're right. But the players that I'm talking about are the, when you're playing college basketball, you are NBA caliber worthy. You are NFL worthy. You can take your talent to the professional level. And it doesn't matter what school you go to, whether it be a school like Kansas, the national champion, or, you know, Wyoming that didn't even make the tournament. Because I'm sure that schools, let's say hypothetically, Wyoming has a player that has NBA caliber talent. You mean to tell me that he's not worthy in Wyoming to get an NIL deal? And no, it might not be $800,000. It might be $800, but when you're in college, $800 is a lot of money, right? What I'm trying to say is, is simply, this is where I feel 
the NIL is going to change college basketball, and it could change it for the better, and it could also make it change for the worse. And here's why. Last year, um, Cade Cunningham was the first pick in the NBA draft. His contract is um, a four-year deal, approximately worth around $45.5 million. That's probably, you know, um, incentives, so on and so forth. But his salary is like around $10 million. What I'm going to do is I want to see when we talk about guaranteed money. Because when you talk about contracts, it's not about what the money is. It's about the guarantee. Because the money is like, hey, look, you could, I could sign like a, a, a 10-year trillion-dollar deal, but $80 is guaranteed. So in essence, I signed a 10-year $80 deal, and I pretty much have to hustle man for the rest of the deal. So this is the deal with Cade Cunningham. He signed a contract for four years over $45 million, right? An average salary of $11 million, but the guaranteed money is $20 million. And what I mean by that is the other $20 million, he could probably get an incentives, bonuses, award, individual awards, individual achievements, so on and so forth. But the minute he put the, the name on the contract, they said, thank you, Mr. Cunningham. Here's a $20.6 million contract. Number one player in the NBA last year that was drafted, right? Now, I want to look at, um, let me see. I, I, I want to... I want to make some uh, discrep discrepancies here. Santi Aldama, drafted by the Utah Jazz, was the 30th player drafted, and he was traded to the Grizzlies, but he was the last player drafted in last year's first round of the 2022 NBA draft. His, he signed a four-year deal, $10.2 million, and that full contract, the, the full 10.2, is guaranteed. Right, so you could see the precipitous drop from the twenty, from the number one, all the way down to pick number thirty is ten million. Right now, that's a thirty million dollar, thirty million. That's a ten million dollar drop. Now, meaning like K could earn more, but the point is, is that this dude that just got drafted at thirty, he can't earn any more than ten million. Right now. Big difference between the first and the second round. This is the point that I'm making. Greg, why do you keep talking? Because I need to lay the foundation before I make my point. The first round players' contracts are all guaranteed. How much money is guaranteed? That's on the team. But all their contracts are guaranteed. Second round players drafted into the NBA, their contracts are not guaranteed. And when you're drafted in the first round, there's kind of a... I know in the lottery, you're locked in to guaranteed numbers for salary. But in the second round, the teams pay you what they pay you. And your contract is not guaranteed. Now, let's talk about some of these players that were drafted in the second round. The first player drafted in the second round, the Bucks drafted uh, Isaiah Todd, who was traded to the Wizards via the Pacers. Isaiah Todd, he... Got um, a four-year deal, six point eight million. Four million, four point eight is guaranteed, right? So out of that four-year deal, four point eight is guaranteed as a first pick in the second round. You're thinking that's good money. Second round, that's good money. 
Now, let's look at the last player drafted in the draft. This is the 60th player drafted who the Pacers drafted and they traded him to the Bucks. Giorgio's Kalazakis. I don't know where this where, where Giorgio Kalazakis. He's from uh Greece. So if anybody is hearing me pronounce Giorgio's last name, sorry. So Giorgio's um pretty much got a um his contract was three years, four point three million. But four hundred sixty-two thousand is guaranteed, so pretty much he signed a three-year, four hundred sixty-two thousand dollar deal, right? So you're thinking that's still close to half a million. You know these guys are all making close to a million dollars. Okay, um, I know football is reigns king in America at all sports, but Bryce Young, who's still going back to college, made twice as much money as this guy. Right now, I get what you're saying. You know, uh, last player in the draft, prestigious program at Alabama. I get it. This is the point, an underlying point that I'm trying to make. Will college basketball players want to stay and earn money while they're staying at their universities to boost their draft stock? Because let's say I'm a college player and I am projected to go either undrafted, meaning that they don't even got to pay me. They can pay me 50000 So let's say you go undrafted late to mid-second round, right? Like I said, contracts aren't guaranteed, and you're making a couple hundred thousand. Or you could go back to college, enjoy the college life, partying, fun, all that, and still make a couple hundred thousand and at the same time improve your draft stock. You're probably not going to be partying and dealing with all the girls as much, but you're going to still have that opportunity to do that. My case point example is center from North Carolina, Armando Baycott. He's the dude that Plays for my beloved North Carolina Tar Heels. And yes, we took that L at a national championship game. But he um, was a player that was projected to go either undrafted, late second round, or mid-second round. That's where he was projected to go. So he probably said to himself, you know what? I can maybe get some NIL deals. And if colleges now are smart, the smart colleges, the smart colleges probably already have this set up where they probably sit there and say, hey, look, we got these deals all ready for you to go. Just sign off and the monies will be direct deposited into your account as long as you fulfill the requirements for each deal. Right. So let's just talk hypothetically. Let's say Armando Baycott, University of North Carolina says, hey, man, listen. Um, we got a deal for you to speak on the radio one day a week for 10 minutes. Then we got another deal that's going to, you got to sign um, autograph signing for an hour. We're going to have Armando, and this really happened. I, uh, on social media, on one of the Tar Heel feeds, it said, hey, great news. Armando Baycott is returning for his senior year. Why don't we all show him how much we thank him for coming back by buying his t-shirt at ArmandoBaycott.com. And I'm sure he's getting a cut off of that, 
right? So the t-shirts are probably like, what, $20? He's probably making a couple bucks off of each t-shirt, 1,000 t-shirts. I'm just saying. And no, I understand. That's not the 800000 plus that Bryce Young is making. But still, like I just said, what if they have commercials, car dealership endorsements, all other type of endorsement deals that he can now be a part of? What if they, I don't know, he wears suits to the game because they're paying him to wear these suits to the game. My point is, is this. I think he came back and it was a smart move to improve his draft stop. Not only that, he's going to be a legend at North Carolina, right? Because if the last time they had, and I'm not saying everybody's coming back, but if Caleb Young, if Caleb Love comes back, you're going to have four of the five starters. If all the college basketball fans remember, remember when Villanova knocked down that game-winning shot against Carolina in the national championship game? Who clapped back next year against Gonzaga with the majority of their starters intact? A couple of them left, two, two of them left, but they had replacements for those guys. So my point is, is that other players in college, what if they feel like, what if the players on Duke feel like, why should I go to the NBA where I could come back? If I'm a high, if I'm a high second round draft pick, or a mid to late first round draft pick. Why not make a couple hundred thousand dollars and try and boost my stock to go into the lottery? You might want to sit there and say, you want that million dollars? I get that. But my point is, is this. Do the players that come back because of the NIL change the game of college basketball in that now you're going to have players that normally would go to the draft or be second round picks, bump themselves now into first round territory. What about the players that were now already first round type picks? Do they fall? Do they get bumped up now into lottery? Or does it just become more competitive all around? And I'll tell you this much, it's going to be great for college basketball knowing that you have all these teams where you don't... What's been happening with these one-and-done players is that half the time, you don't even know the players on the roster until Thanksgiving and this tournament season. Because you're thinking, like, I don't know who half these players are. The team is so brand new. They're all freshmen or first-year players. And then around Thanksgiving, you're like, okay, let me start watching and see who these guys are. Where now, you could go into a season thinking to yourself, oh, okay, they got Armando Baycott. He was that guy that was playing on one ankle and was basically a man amongst boys in that championship game and twisted his ankle on the last position. Oh, yeah, I remember him. Oh, I remember R.J. Davis. I remember Caleb Love. Oh, okay, Leaky Black's coming back. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, what about players on Duke? You got Roach. What if Roach comes back? You got the center. What if he comes back? What what, what, what about Trevor Keels? What about Moore? What if they come back? You know Paolo Banchero, he's going one, two, or three. That's too much money to go to pass away, right? So what if the four starters on Duke and Carolina all come back and they're having loaded freshman classes coming in. You don't think Duke want to sit there and clap back 
at North Carolina for what North Carolina did to Duke last year. Krzyzewski's last home game at Duke. And then Krzyzewski's last Final Four game. First ever appearance of North Carolina and Duke playing in a tournament. Come on now. How great would that be where now you can sit there and say college basketball has some life in it because now you have teams with talent. You got teams where how good you got teams that have college stars. See, the thing is with college football, you got to stay three years and you can sit there and say, hey, that's wrong. Why those players staying? Look, I don't know how many 18 year old boys. I don't care how big or strong you are already to go up against some of these grown-ass men in the NFL that will mollywop you for four quarters, okay? There's a there's a, there's something to be said when you're playing football about experience, strength, and understanding to play the game at different levels, okay? So... That's what I have. That, that, that's that's my, my my basically my question: Is these these NILs changing college basketball? It's not gonna change college football because you can't tell me now these college football teams aren't gonna be buying players. They were buying players before, and they were buying players in college basketball before. It's just now they don't have to sit there and act like it's not happening. Now, players don't have to act like I'm broke. They can sit there and say, I have a BMW endorsement. They gave me this car as part of my endorsement deal. They can pay taxes on the money that they're receiving off of these NIL deals, and they can walk around with actual money in their pocket. I'm just saying. But it's just uh, good to talk to all of the listening audience that's out there. And for all my listening audience that's out there, I want to end this episode with a positive uh, vibe. I don't know if this is technically a quote. This is a vibe. A nice car, a house, and a degree are the old status symbols. The ultimate flex is freedom. Time freedom, location freedom, and financial freedom. Freedom and health are the new status symbols. Keep that in mind, everybody. Freedom and health are the new status symbols. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye, everybody.